Welcome to Script to Screen's Talks podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organisation dedicated to developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Part of our annual programme, the Talk series, brings the creative community together to hear inspirational speakers delve into their creative process, craft, philosophy, or the broader creative landscape. Script to Screen has partnered with the New Zealand International Film Festival to bring you a special series of talks with the filmmakers at the 2017 festival. Helene Wong speaks to legendary New Zealand filmmaker Gaylene Preston about her latest documentary, My Year with Helen. Gaylene shares some entertaining and provocative stories about her experience of making the film while following Helen Clark's attempt to become the Secretary General of the United Nations. Gaylene. Congratulations on just such an amazingly insightful, entertaining film about us, as you've always done, telling telling us stories about ourselves. But what a you're quite right. I mean, Gaylene is one of our grand dame of the film industry in New Zealand, and what a film! To it's almost forty years, isn't it? Yeah. And there's a kind of combination of all of that experience and knowledge that I can see coming out through this film. So I'm sure you've all got lots of uh, questions about it. There are so many layers and so many themes in this film, so I'm not going to ask too many questions, and I'm sure Gaylene is quite capable of talking about this amongst uh, herself. Um, There are, you know, the drills, the microphones, there will be microphones, but Gaylene and I have a short chat beforehand and and then we'll open it up. So really, I, I just really wanted to crack in and ask the question, which is pro- possibly quite obvious, and that is, you were about six months into the film of Helen working at the UNDP, and you were suddenly hijacked by this decision of Helen's to run for Secretary General. What was your initial reaction? Did you say, bugger, or did you say, that's fantastic? The latter. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Because in that six months, we had gone to Botswana on a country visit with Helen. And we'd done that using a film commission scheme that uh, Dave Gibson invented. He's the CEO of the film commission currently, and he's also a a well-experienced producer, and it's been great to have a well-experienced producer in that role because... Uh, They know how hard it is and they understand how it's actually quite different raising the finance to make a feature documentary as opposed to a feature drama. Um, In all feature film financing, you have to have the money. You have to have not, not some of it, not most of it. You have to have all of it before you can even start. So money raising is a large part of what we do as filmmakers. Um, very hard to do in documentary. You can be, the world is full of people looking for the last 200,000. You know, everybody, when you go anywhere in the world, when filmmakers gather together, they don't discuss films. They do discuss the F word, funding. Funding is the main thing. So, So we are very fortunate at the moment in New Zealand to have a funding thing that gives us some money to go away and test the concept, which is what we were doing in Botswana. So we went to Botswana, and as we're doing that, I'm realising that there's this thing coming up called the SG race. And it took me, I mean, I am a UN virgin, and I didn't know, I hardly knew what SG meant. And, And I worked out that we're talking about the Secretary-General and the Secretary-General is changing. There's a bit of hoo-ha around that and then it becomes all about will Helen run or not? And up till then, I would have had, I was having real trouble raising any sort of finance, any sort of real interest in this film Um, because it's very hard to pitch it to, to look like anything else than an aid documentary which isn't cinema. But once Helen decided to run, well, she took ages to own up, but once she decided to run, we were cooking with gas. So, and and that meant that the whole film had an impetus, both with funding, 
with raising independent finance. Just the whole thing took off, really. And that's when Catherine Madigan, my co-producer, came on board. Right, Mm. right. So I gave it a real boot. A real boot, yeah. Yeah. And you can see why. I mean, I think it's... I think... uh, It's very hard to get at that story because the UN is so frustrating. And I think any political... that You could say UN, you can transpose that to any institution, Mm. political institution, can't you? Mm. I mean, you'd know about that, Helene, more than me. Yeah, but... (laughs) This is not about me. Um, But what I was thinking, when I first saw the film, it it brought to mind really strongly one of your earlier films, which I don't think is to mention, that was Getting to Our Place, which was in 1999, and that was about the making of Te Papa. Yes. I don't know whether any of you are familiar with it, but if you can get your hands on it, do, because that is another very riveting documentation of the workings of a public institution making high-stakes decisions about something which was very dear to the country. And you managed to get in there and tell, identify really strong stories with strong drama and narrative in them and tell it in a way that was deeply accessible. And it seemed to me that you were able to probably use your experience on that to apply it to the UN. I mean, you said you were a virgin and and that was really um, probably quite right, but I'm, I'm wondering how you went about getting access because we saw the problems Al Jazeera had. Yeah. What do the problems of Gaylene Preston from New Zealand have? Look, access is the most important thing when making any documentary. And when it came to getting to our place, for example, um, I was asked to make that film and decided that the best way to make it was over three years. So I had Anna Cotterill in there as a field director a lot of the time. I would be looking at rushes, giving feedback, and then and then when it, it when it came to the edit, Paul Sartorius and I, with Anna, sat in there and made sense of it and made that documentary. I think we could we could make another one. You know, there's enough footage there because that was also I saw what we were doing in Te Papa as making an archive, you know, a visual archive of the process. So I've always been interested in the process in institutions. I worked as an art therapist, um, um, drama therapist in, in institutions in the UK in my 20s. And, um, you know, you work in a 900-bed psychiatric hospital and the one I worked in was run by a doctor a very progressive doctor who um, wrote a book called Institutional Therapy. He decided that the institution would be the therapy for the 900 people in there. And it's it's still an incredible book. So I kind of got plugged into an interest in institutions really early. But it's more than just a visual archive. And I think that's that's your skill, that you were able to find the drama in it the finding the, the people who became characters really in their, in their own little dramas and you oh, were able you to do to, the same yeah, with this. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yes, and with uh, this film, we were always looking for characters. So, you know, the, the style was imposed by all the obstacles, really. So I just, the, the decisions I made, the creative decisions were about making a fly-on-the-wall documentary that covered a year, only and interviewing Helen occasionally through that process and trying to make the interviews as, as much like a conversation as I could um, because she's very well trained in interviews, so we're trying to get past there. Um, and and that's, that's her character arc. So there's no... Indica- I don't take an... I don't take something Helen said in January and use it later in September. You know, she had to have said it again. So I was quite often asking Helen similar things. So she probably thinks I'm really dumb or forgetful. Um, But always those interviews are the spine. And then around that are these characters that emerged. And characters emerge. And characters, the characters in uh, My Year with Helen are people who were prepared to be filmed, really. 
So as far as, you know, casting goes, you find somebody who, you know, the best thing is if you can find somebody who who is the same whether you're filming them, whether you're not filming them. And we were blessed to have a few people like that, really. Right, right. And did they make it easier for you to overcome any of the administrative obstacles at all? Mm, No. No. Okay. So what was, what were some of the administrative <laughs> no. obstacles, Gaylene? <laughs> the what? What were some of the administrative obstacles? Oh, my God. Well, I was there with Catherine. Catherine! I mean... Catherine Madigan, producer. I would, I would uh, you know, with my little camera, Catherine would do the... Catherine would do the official obstacle... Approach. ..form filling in. Oh, yeah. And then when we got a no, sometimes by the time we got the no, I'd already scrambled under or over and got myself in places I wasn't supposed to be. But, I mean, it's very, you know, the the UN wandering around there with a Dana dolly. Does anyone know what a Dana dolly is? Well, it looks very like a pipe bomb. (laughs) Basically, it's just a way that you can move the camera without having to have an extra person on the crew to actually move it. Because your cinematographer can move it. And it just means your shots have got a nice sort of feeling in it. And um, we were going there with our Dana Dolly. And they go, but we've never seen any. Nobody else has had one of these and they haven't needed it. And what are you doing? And we've got to get the canines here. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> the it's serious. <laughs> Serious, you know, they, they are geared to capture the terrorists. The funny thing is, though, I mean, one night we were basically filming um, some of those lovely shots around the, the tapestries um, and there was one person on the front of the building. You know, it's kind of weird. So... No, it's, it's an impossible place to film. I wouldn't recommend it. That's why nobody else has done it. <laughs> but, but there was a Danish crew in there and we had a sort of a love-hate relationship because, with them because um, they were, were making a documentary about Lekertoft, the um, leader of the uh, General Assembly, who's in the film occasionally. And um, they were everywhere we couldn't go because he was the boss of that part of the UN. When we were with Helen over the road at the UNDP, we were fine. But over in that building, we were just in with the press. So it was a pretty easy decision to decide to start filming the press. Yes. But they were very useful because they were able to explain a lot of the stuff. Well, that's how we found things out. Yeah. You know, just finding out what's going on and when it's gonna happen, and it's really hard. And um, most of them, most of them have difficulty. So were you with Helen the whole year or did you go in and out? We went in and out. So we'd go, we'd go to wherever, I mean, Madrid or wherever Helen was, where it was possible for us to go. I mean, we wanted to go to Moscow with her and it just wasn't possible. It was just a net. <laughs> Can't be done. Um, so we would go where we could with Helen and come and go from New York. So I think we went to New York how many times? Six times, probably. Um, the last couple of times I went, on, the last time I went on my own um, because we'd kind of, we knew the ropes and and, we'd, and, and uh, we were getting short of money. So Catherine stayed home and didn't sleep. So she, she basically did everything in New Zealand night. Yeah. Um, I think you couldn't have done it with more people. I think it is just the two of us. Yeah. With, with cinematographers coming and going, with soundies coming and going. When we could, we travelled with Ken Saville, our sound person from New Zealand, who just happens to be able to get sound that nobody else we came across could get. So the party that we got into after the debate, that was a rare moment of getting under the wire, and I got, I got there because I went with one of the very large, incredibly handsome Danish cinematographers, and they thought I was with him. So, <laughs> so we crashed the party, because the Danes are handling the door, you see. They've got those Danes, my goodness. I, 
And uh, every now and then we would have lunch on a Sunday with the Danes and they would complain about how boring all the meetings they were in were. And we would complain about how we couldn't get into any meetings. <laughs> <laughs> so um, working with Helen, how did that work out? Did you know her beforehand? Well, all? Helen knows thousands of people. I know, I know. Yeah. She would have certainly known of you, but she did not work with her before. I probably knew her the same way you know her. And you know, she knows who you are. She knows who I am. Yeah. She, she, she is very well aware of the work. Absolutely. And there'll be yeah. respect there, and you can have a nice conversation at the end of, edge of a party, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Helen has a very close group, small group, family and friends that go back a long way. Mm -hmm. And after that, it's the rest of the world. I mean, she's been in the public gaze since she was a whippersnapper. Mm. Just talk a little bit about the film that didn't get made, which was the film about Helen heading up the UNDP. Do you feel that you've still managed to capture what you'd hoped to capture for that film and got the essence of it and put it into this film? Yeah. Buy the DVD, though, because we've got some great extras, which do show more of that. And when is that out? Uh, hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> but in the next six months it will. Right, right. Yeah. Because yeah. we've got a cinema release coming, so tell your friends we need it packed out in the first week or it'll be gone. Um, and that, that's the 31st of August. It will be coming to Auckland. It won't be coming to a cinema near you. It will be coming to the Rialto and a few other selected cinemas. So if you want to see it again or if you want people you know to see it, that's when to go, the week of the 31st of August. Absolutely. Mm. Just following on from that earlier question about Helen and the dimensions of Helen, I, I, some, I think some of the loveliest sequences there and possibly the most surprising are the ones with her family, with Peter and with, with Dad. Her father, I mean, it's wonderful, and you know the pork and pineapple and all of that was just amazing. And I, I guess you were trying, you were hoping that that would be occupy quite a reasonable segment of the original documentary, which was showing Helen as a woman, as as a as a daughter, as a wife, as a family person, which she's often been criticised in the past for not being. Was That's that interesting, attention? isn't it? You know, women can't win, can they? Which is <laughs> what the film's about. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that I was making that documentary. You know, in a way, that documentary has been made. Um, Claudia Pondeli and Dan Salmon made a two-part biography documentary of Helen, and I was never trying to do that. My whole interest with Helen was to look at the process of change and how it might work at a global level and how a woman in globe, at, you know, at the toppermost of the poppermost. I mean, Helen is still number 22 on the Forbes list as in the top 100 most influential women in the world. You know, we take, we take this for granted, you know, in New Zealand. There's a lot of things we take for granted and that's one of them. You know, I think... I think, and she, she turned up recently on another, these are really reputable lists of, she, she turned up in the 100 most influential people in the world, and she's one of 20 women in it. Um, and she's incredibly well understood um, in certain circles mm. all around the world. And that, that rating on the Forbes list isn't because of the UNDP. It's because of, the, I mean, when she came to the UNDP, I think she was number 61. So what I'm saying really is that the film was, when I, when I went away to do the proof of concept, the film was always about the process of how global change might work from behind the shoulder of the most powerful person in the world that I knew mm. um, and could get access to. And then when, when, the, when, when we were filming in Botswana and a woman said, we are punished for being the mothers of the human race, yeah. I thought, 
I want to make a film about that. I, you know, that is the centre of this movie. I really want to make this film now because I feel like that's... I want to make a film where that could be up on the big screen at the Civic. And, mm. and that's what I thought. And I, I could see how you might think, well, that's weird because Helen's not a mother and, you know, it was said in, by a woman in a meeting. But actually, it's key, isn't it? And... And Helen's whole, the whole thrust of development as Helen was leading it, unfortunately in the past tense now, at the UNDP, the development part of the UN is the huge bit. And empowering women, if you empower women at every level, from the top to the bottom, you know, 51% of the female, of, of the human population is women. The planet's got too many people on it. There's one thing that everybody agrees. Population, human population needs to be slowed down. There's only one way that is, there is even a statistic about that that is irrefutably constant. And it is that educated women all over the world in any culture have less children. So let's get the girls in school. Mm. Oh, As a human thing, yeah. we could do that. Yeah. And it's, and it's emergency. And I mean, if we just did that one thing, a lot of these other conversations would, would be more solvable. But actually, we're living in an age where the opposite is occurring, sadly. So, with all of that experience in filming it, you come to another phrase that was used in the film, which was, I think it was the president of the Security Council addressing, introducing Helen and introducing her as Mrs. Helen Clark. Do you think the reinvention that Helen was striving at pushing for in her candidacy, are we any closer to it? Well, he's a Dane. I mean, he comes from one of the more, one of the very, when you go to the UN, you realise how terribly progressive, in some ways, we are in New Zealand society and how we are actually leading the world, you know. And we wouldn't call Ms Clark Mrs Clark, but that is absolutely routine at the UN. Um, I think the interesting moment with Legatoft is when we're interviewing him and he can't say woman. He says, well, yes, it could be that, the, that this job could go to somebody from that part of the human population yes. who isn't quite there yet, <laughs> the female part. The female part. And he yes. still hasn't said women. And I think to myself, I've had plenty of time now, you know, in a cutting room thinking, why couldn't he say woman? Why couldn't he stand in front of our cameras and say woman? His English is quite fine. And I think he's a politician. He couldn't be seen to say woman for SG because he was actually really busy behind the scenes campaigning for a man to have it. Mm. Mm. That's but very, I, that's just my opinion. Awkward. I could be completely yeah. wrong. But why couldn't you just say, you know, to a little friendly Kiwi crew who aren't putting anything up there till, till at least a year after you've said it, why can't you say woman? What's the problem? Let's open it up for some questions um, now. Um, we do have microphones, so if you put your hands up and we'll try and give an even distribution between male and female and um, begin. Jamie, have you got an idea that's coming out? Would you, would you, I don't know whether people at the back can hear, but possibly have, not. Have so. you got an idea in your head that you're going to make another movie of that's going to come out? <laughs> you said you had lots of ideas in your own head. Best, best if you want, if you have ideas, best to not discuss them in kitchens at parties. <laughs> I've heard some fantastic novels at kitchens and parties, and I've learnt to actually keep my ideas in my head while they're ideas, because I'm still having a discussion in my head, and then get them onto paper and then really interrogate them and, you know, I, I just think uh, it's important to do that 
Mm. I think the important thing is you do still have ideas, which is great, <laughs> so we can expect more it's from It's when her. you have too many ideas, it's a real problem, yeah. But I'm not getting any younger, so I do want to keep going, if that's the question. And um, is, is the question perhaps, um, are you going to continue in the same vein, or have you got some other tangent you want to move on to? Well, I do tend to leapfrog between drama and documentary, I like that. Um, this was a very challenging film to make. Um, interestingly, I feel more invigorated from this challenge than I did making another challenging thing, which was the Christchurch series. Mm. Because I came out of that, I think I swallowed too much, well, I breathed in too much liquefaction dust. Working in the red zone was hugely toxic and and there was a psychological toxicity that flowed out of there uh, after it screened on television, and I just think it took me a while to recover. But I don't feel like that. With this one, I feel invigorated, which is funny because they're physically very demanding. You know, Helen strides. You know, we, we, we asked her to walk slowly once, and she just looked silly. Um, <laughs> she just didn't, it was awful. So we said, no, don't worry. But, um, but you know, Helen, Helen arrives and if you want to get the shot where she's coming towards the camera, you have to run very fast to get ahead of her, film her going past and then run very fast to get ahead of her again. And that is actually really demanding. Yeah, <laughs> I feel in the concourse of the UN, this mad woman in a hat racing. <laughs> they go, oh my God, I'm sure security were well alerted. <laughs> but then, they, then I know that they had a nickname for me after a while, because we did keep coming back and coming back. And, the, and the, the, the security people, they will just look through you and call you ma'am. It doesn't matter how many times you go in and out of there. But the media liaison people who are the program prevention officers around the UN, they referred to me as the mad hatter. <laughs> and they would, and, which was sort of a, I took it as a term of endearment, and, and, and they call, they'd say, hey, it's the Gooey crew. She's not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yes. Um, thank you, Gaylene. That was really uh, an extraordinary yeah, film. And... Um, in between the finishing in the cinema and getting down here, I had like three conversations with people about what was in it and how provocative it was. And um, yeah, I just thank you very much. I really appreciate that um, huge piece of work. And I'm curious, I thought you'd crafted the end fantastically in terms thank of you. how you held our disappointment in the audience, it was so deeply disappointing um, on so many levels. And I'm really curious if Helen at any point shared with you more than she gave you or we saw on camera and how, you know, her very telling comment about the next generation, um, if there was more that she shared with you around that. No, I'll tell you what. I wasn't sitting in rooms with Helen, having dinners with Helen, finding out all sorts of stuff with Helen and then going and interviewing her. That isn't how it worked. We would manage uh, to get some time with Helen. It'd be scheduled in. We'd have our crew there. Um, and we would go in and whatever Helen said, we were filming as we walked on the door and we were filming as we left. Um, so it wasn't like there was any other information. Um, when the day, the day the straw polls were announced, nobody expected it. I was there at the UN on my own, just me and my little camera with a soundie. Fortunately, I had a soundie with me. Um, and Gemma Gracewood, who some of you might know, she was there and she had to leave the building to breastfeed her baby. 
because we couldn't get the baby into the UN. <laughs> Didn't pass security. So she was outside and she had a little D5 camera that could record video. So she covered, um, she covered Nick Harper outside uh, on her little camera. Um, but basically, we, we were just scurrying along with the entire press corps. And actually, Matthew, um, who, Matthew Lee, who spoke to us, I mean, he's, he's a real outsider at the UN. He's been thrown out of the press corps. He, 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 um, he's done things to really piss the press corps off. I don't know what they were, but anyway, he has. And so he's, the reason he talked to us is we were all outsiders together. So, so in a way, we were making the film talking to people who would talk to us. And so that's the civil society lobby groups who are not UN insiders. Um, and we, you know, we were fortunate to have access to Gerard Van Boom, who I knew from way back. So Gerard knew me and I knew Gerard. Um, and if that hadn't been the case, I don't think we would have even had access to our own ambassador. You know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And I've learnt more about things since we've finished the film. Sitting watching the film's really educational. Sitting watching the film with Helen is really educational. <laughs> um, but no, not, no, there's not, there's not extra off screen. What you see is what we got. Um, I'm a, I'm of Helen's generation and uh, have been an admirer uh, ever since one of her friends, the Tizards, taught us at university and have followed her course and I've also followed New Zealand film. And I came along today with two points. How on earth would you make a film about that topic? And I'm just absolutely amazed you blew me. It's not just a New Zealand film, it's a New Zealand film of high international uh, renown, I would say, it's, it's brilliant. I watched this whole, but, and you took it from one aspect, which was the woman's role, which has always been my uh, path also. But I watched this whole process. I spent the months that this was going on watching everything that was on TV, New Zealand TV, international TV, watching all the debates and presentations. And the winner, uh, I picked quite a while before any of the uh, votes came out, he had somehow media presence that some of the others didn't have. That was number one. I think there was a political aspect through this whole thing, which would have been really inappropriate in the film, but the political aspect was the uprising of refugees during the course of time that the voting took place. Look, and I, I remember a distinctive week where it was just atrocious. Then, in my opinion, there was a third aspect. She had New Zealand political support, which put her into the political arena. And you had Russia, France, and the US voting against. John Key and Obama were very close. John Key and China were very close. And I don't think France has ever been a really close friend since the Greenpeace situation. <coughs> so there were a lot of political things, I think, beyond Helen. Oh, yeah, and we say that in the film. I mean, Helen yeah. says it. You know, and I think, you know, with the UN, is geopolitical. Um, and what you say could well be true, but who knows? We don't know, and we've spent a lot of time looking um, and everybody's opinion is up for grabs. And the reason is, it's secret. So the fact that John Key played golf with Obama is neither here nor there. The USA vetoed us. The fact 
So, you know, you can, you can only ever look at the results of a, of a thing. And I'm not, I'm not a, it's not a current affairs film. It's a character-based observational documentary. So what's in there is what we could film. If we couldn't film it, it's not in there. It's not like there's any commentator giving an opinion. So what you see is what you get. And, and my job as a filmmaker, working closely with my editor, Paul Sartorius, and we have done this before. I mean, he cut getting to our place too. My job as a filmmaker, I think, is to make, I mean, we're not making a television documentary. We're not making a current affairs thing. We're not making an analysis of anything. We're actually making an observational documentary, which is funded by and supported by New Zealand investors and New Zealand Film Commission to go into New Zealand cinemas and to entertain and inform. And that's what, so therefore, therefore, the film has to be focused and I think we're most interested in people. And I mean, I think, I think of anything, what the film says is we're all people. Your opinion is as good as the next guy's opinion. We don't have to have experts. Uh, we do have to think for ourselves. Um, and we do have to agree to disagree and get on with changing the things that we think are really important to change. And for me, what I would like to change is uh, the gender-bound world we live in. So this film's a little drop in the bucket for that. Who's holding a microphone? Kia ora, Gaylene. Um, thank you so much for a wonderful film. I have two questions, but I'm gonna just, seeing as you've just touched on, um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Given that you've been there, and I, mean, I found it quite interesting that you had a lot of, uh, you know, in your list of credits, there was acknowledgement from, of uh, different journalists, but given that you got to see more behind the scenes than they normally do when they go to the UN, is it actually feasible, is it possible to change the UN in such a way within the next five to 10 years that we can see a woman Secretary-General, or do you think that we need to have something really radical happen because those veto countries just seem to be such a stumbling block? Well, can we have a woman leader who gets elected here? Can we have a woman leader who gets elected as president in the United States? It seems not. Can we, but it isn't just about these leaders, is it? It's actually about can we have a world where you know, and I think, I think it really comes down to men now. You know, I'm, I'm glad for this question because I think, I think there's a sort of a funny feeling that if women have power, then somehow men lose it. And I think that we've had this gender conversation now in the public space since at least 1970. So how long is that? It's, it's actually quite short in human evolution. You know, this is a, this is a revolution that's a revolution from, you know, how things have been for 2,000 years at least. It's kind of probably DNA bound. So it's really great that we're having this conversation and you would expect a, a place that's got, I mean, the, the UN is an audacious idea and one can only be proud of that idea that the countries of the world can get together to have a place to talk instead of shooting one another. So, you know, that's a real start, the UN. Um, the fact that it doesn't work is a shame and we need to do something about it. And that's sort of beyond this gender thing. And I think now we've had this discussion, we retreated into the women's room, we had fights and arguments and we worked out things and people think this and people think that and we can all have an argument in the women's room. But I think what I made this film for is consciousness raising for a general audience worldwide and especially here. Um, so that we can understand that if we empower women, men don't lose power. What we have is more power among humanity. We have a stronger human race. 
And what's wrong with that? You know, it's like you share power and you still have it. So, yeah. <clears throat> Excellent. Gaylene, thank you very much for a film that somehow managed to be both depressing and energising at the same time. A real oxymoron. Fantastic. Do Two quick questions. Do you have any idea why Samantha Power, the American ambassador, was not at the vote? Was that roughly the time that Trump was being um, made president? I just... she, she, well, she, she was there when the straw poll, the last straw poll was done, and the next day was just a rubber stamp. Uh -huh, so okay. she was there for the vote, okay. yeah. Second question was just really um, why you chose to launch the film in Sydney? Well, we had this wonderful invitation from the Sydney Film Festival, and they're over now, so mm. we, we would have to wait a year to screen My Year with Helen in, in Sydney, and we have a distributor who owns the film for Sydney, for Australia and New Zealand. And it's always a, a, quite a tricky one of how we release our films because in film terms, in industry terms, in distribution terms, New Zealand and Australia are one territory. So um, we were very fortunate to, it's very hard to turn down the opportunity to screen your film, to launch it, in the equivalent of the Civic, but in Sydney, and we were able to have Helen with us because she hadn't gone on her trip of a lifetime yet. So that's what we did. Also, I think, I think knowing that the film works across Australia and New Zealand is good to know. And, and uh, you know, it's great, yeah. And in fact, it was a great reception. Oh, surprisingly great. four minutes standing ovation at the end of the film. It was incredible. And a big Q&A at the Sydney Town Hall. So it helps me feel a little bit better and to be able to really enjoy the New Zealand premiere on Sunday. You know, filling the Civic, oh my God, there's nothing like it. It's top of, top of the pops for me, you know. I've never made a film that's filled the Civic. Very few movies do it. That's kind of rock concerts do it. <laughs> Uh, so, so, you know, and they do it for the opening night of the film festival, but to see everybody turn up, the audience is the main thing with our filmmakers. Without the audience, none of those films, if I hadn't been able to have, to have an, an, an ongoing conversation through my films with the New Zealand audience, I would be an ex-filmmaker and I would have become one round about Mr. Wrong because we couldn't get it. Between the filmmaker and the audience lies a huge global industry, which is the distribution industry. And if you can't get your films to the audience, it's difficult. So film festivals like this are really great ways for distributors to see how films work, for the exhibitors, more importantly, for the, for the cinemas to pick it pick the film up and to see your film into cinemas. And once you've seen your films into cinemas, you've got this wonderful thing called an audience. And that's you. Without the audience, we don't, we're just talking to ourselves on, on quite an expensive metre. <laughs> I wanted to thank you very much for the music and just comment on the music. I thought it was wonderful. It really led, led a lot to the movie, lent a lot to the movie. Um, was it your, is it your sister? Yeah, that's, it is. that's, my, that's oh, my little blister. Is it? Oh, lovely. Well, please pass on the congratulations to her because she did a wonderful job. It yeah. Thank you. Look, I can tell you a little bit about the music because... Jan and I didn't work together for a long time because I would always say, look, Jan, the world's full of composers, but I've only got one sister. And if we fall out over, over a music cue, um, because, you know, I'm the big sister telling her what to do, um, we could easily end up in an argument about who said what to who in 1968. And I would rather we didn't work together. But when it came to Home by Christmas, the film that, about our father's story, we, we both said, hey, let's risk it. And, and so, and, and it worked beautifully. I mean, her music for that film is stunning as well. So when it came to this one, I said to Jan, look, 
I don't know. It's a documentary. Music and documentaries is a whole thing. But Jan happens to be a bit of an expert on it because she's written a lot of documentary music in, in Australia. She lives in Australia. So I said, look, the music has to be the whispered conversations that we don't have access to. You know, that building talks. You can actually hear it whispering sometimes. It echoes and it whispers. And so she would go, she went round to her little, her little spot round the road in Mount Victoria. She was working in Mount Victoria and she would, and Paul and I would be cutting around the corner in Mount Victoria and there'd be a knock at the door and Jan, oh, look, I've got this, look, it's just, I've, I've put it on this little USB stick and Oh, okay, it's probably no good and, you know, I don't know why, I don't know where it came from and it's probably hopeless. And what I've done is blah, 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 blah. and by the time she was still telling us, we would have put it in, heard the first couple of things and gone, and it said, it goes there. And we put it in and we go, shh, 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 shh. How about this? Roll the film and go, yes, thanks, that's really good. Go and do us another one. <laughs> and and when she said, and she was doing all that on, on samples, and when she said she wanted to then spend just about her entire music budget, which she could have just had as a fee, on a really expensive choir to do the real voices, I'd, I said, look, you, you know, you don't need to, it's great. But she insisted, and isn't it great? Mm. Mm, yeah, fabulous. it adds a huge dimension. Yeah. It makes the film a movie. And I, I mean, if you get a chance to listen to that song she wrote for the credits, it's just beautiful. We've got Annie Crummer oh. singing on it. And it's woman in lots of different languages. Yeah. That's all the words are, is woman in many languages. She's clever, my sister. So you'll work together again? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Hey, Gaylene, um, thanks for such a clever and educational film. I hope it travels widely to every country that has women in it. But in a local context, I was just... I found the very small um, piece with Tim Grosse in it, something of a cliffhanger, and I know you said you could get what you could get, but were you not inclined or looking for opportunity to talk to Mr Grosser again in the film? Well... What, to explain to us what happened? Well, Mr. Grosser is the New Zealand ambassador to Washington. Okay. Um, and Gerard was the New Zealand ambassador, permanent representative at the UN. And we found that actually we could talk to Tim Grosser because Helen was in Washington, so it was part of our story. But we're not, we, we don't cut back to a lot of people for comment. And, and we, we filmed a lot around the New Zealand campaign. It doesn't fit in the film. It, the film kept spitting it out. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just like not what the film is about. Mm. Hi, Gaylene. Um, I was just wondering, because you spoke a lot about Helen's experience as a woman in politics. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about your experience as a female director in a historically male-dominated field that is filmmaking. Well, I think that's a really interesting question because Helen and I both came through our respective areas sort of at the beginning of things. You know... Helen came through the women's movement in the 70s, agitation for more women's participation across the board, political, all, all the rest. And I was around, and you often find women at the beginning of things. You know, you find women at the beginning of the French Revolution. You find them at the beginning of the Russian Revolution. That They're always there at the beginning of things. And as soon as there's money on the table and the whole thing gets a bit more structured, it gets harder for them. So I'm a woman who came in, I arrived in New Zealand in 1977, I was working at Pacific Films. Um, it was clear to see that all these ruffians I drank with down at the pub were making films and they didn't know what they were doing. So it was pretty easy for me to decide that I could do it too. Um, and I was also fortunate to have had a very good gender analysis schooling 
which meant when things happened to me along the way where, you know, perhaps my films were less visible than I thought they ought to have been or when they were maybe overlooked in certain quarters, I could basically have a really good analysis. I had a, pol a personal political analysis of what was happening. So I wasn't taking it so personally. And that gives me a lot of resilience. And I think Helen's got a lot of resilience. She's got much more. Want to learn about resilience, spend a little while with Helen Clark. I mean, she really does know about resilience in a way that, you know, times 10 re-me. And I think that's really what we need as women makers. You know, you, you can't, at the point where you really would like to climb under the duvet and stay there for six months and call your film practice because the critics are having a really good chew at it. I mean, perfect strangers, my God. You know, if you, if you read now what was said before we even started shooting that film and after it came out, um, you know, in four column inches in the Herald, you wouldn't make another movie. Um, but I have to say, I'm really, really grateful to the New Zealand Film Commission and the New Zealand filmmaking community who really stuck by me in that. And, you know, because usually if your film gets dissed like that, you can't possibly make another movie. It's very hard. You can't get the money. You have to wait 10 years for the memory to fade. Um, because we are really good at remembering what we are, what, what our failures are. Um, but fortunately, when it came to Perfect Strangers, we had sold it offshore. The Film Commission really stuck with us. Um, and now that film is getting a real resurgence. It's, it's, um, it's standing as a, as a female genre film that, with a lot to say about that. So, you know, you just if, if you're a filmmaker, just keep doing it. Don't give up. Is there one more, and then we'll wrap it up? Okay. Time-wise. Time, yes. yes. Okay. It's a Tuesday. Haven't you got jobs? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you supposed to be? <laughs> thank, thank you for being a very responsive audience. I mean, who wouldn't be responsive to a film like that? But thank you for coming with your questions. And I would like you to, once again, show your appreciation for our wonderful Grand Dame, <laughs> and we'll see you at her next one, whatever it might be. Hopefully, you never know. Every time I make a film, I think it's my last, and I've, I've done that since 1978. <laughs> <laughs> the talk series is proudly supported by the New Zealand Film Commission. Foundation North, Images and Sound, and White Studios. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear, and voiceover is Lucy Wigmore. <laughs>